Welcome to the Unborn Movement by Words to Inspire. We invite you to be informed, to be involved, and to be in prayer. On these podcasts, you'll hear stories from women and men who tell of the damaging after effects of legal abortion, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Such a dark stain on our nations around the world. The ripple effect on moms, dads, grandparents, and siblings impacts not only this generation, but generations to come. We are committed to also telling you through these dynamic stories about the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. He offers love, forgiveness, and restoration to all who call on Him. We pray that every podcast highlights God's healing grace. And now... Today's podcast. Today on our podcast, I'll be reading from Unborn Untold True Stories of Abortion and God's Healing Grace. Our story for today is by Michelle Robertson called Secret Sorrow. 35 years ago, I found myself 17, unmarried and pregnant. A big whoops. We were too stupid to know that Vaseline and latex. Don't play well together. I hope they teach that in sex education classes now, as that bit of knowledge would have saved me a lot of heartache. Not everyone comes from God-fearing parents who teach about abstinence or ultra-liberal parents who educate their kids about appropriate birth control. I was terrified my parents would find out. I was in my final years of high school and was mortified at the thought of being gossiped about, anticipating the humiliation I would feel being the knocked up girl in school. I decided I did not want to have this baby. So I made a doctor's appointment. My boyfriend at the time had no choice in the matter. I distanced myself from him soon after learning I was pregnant. My doctor was very clinical and cold while discussing terminating my pregnancy. I don't remember the word abortion ever being used. Instead, he used the term therapeutic DNC. He informed me that the hospital only approved these procedures on a case-by-case basis, and I was to go see another doctor who was on the hospital committee in charge of such matters. Regarding the upcoming appointment, my regular doctor informed me that If you could shed a few tears, it would help. I was completely naive to the political climate with regards to abortion and didn't understand why tears were necessary, but I mustered some up nonetheless. I understand now that they approve the procedure only if the health and or welfare of the mother appeared to be in jeopardy, hence the crying. Mental health was factored in, so appearing mentally unhinged helped my cause, I suppose. Apparently, it did help because my case was approved, and shortly after, I went in for day surgery. I was put under general anesthetic, and my pregnancy was terminated. Not a single person discussed potential future negative impacts of having an abortion. Not a single person tried to talk me out of it or offered alternatives. I only felt judgment and cold stares. No follow-up was advised or offered, and life went on again as planned, until it didn't. 
Within the year, I was back with the same young man and pregnant again. I look back now and I don't recognize that immature and foolish girl. I was still not ready to have a baby, but the thought of going back to my doctor pregnant again was too humiliating. I did a bit of research and called an abortion clinic in Toronto. The intake receptionists asked me how far along I was, and I lied and told her longer than I actually thought. For some reason, I was afraid they would make me wait, and I was anxious to proceed. She was friendly and set up an appointment for me as casually as if I was seeing a dentist for a toothache. The day of the scheduled appointment, I drove alone to the clinic in Toronto. I parked in a side street parking lot and went in through the back door as instructed without really understanding why. After my making my way to a seat in a deserted living room type waiting room, I picked up a magazine and waited. Suddenly, people started banging on the front windows and the door opposite where I had come in, yelling things I couldn't decipher. I didn't understand what all the commotion was about. The front door burst open and a man yelled, don't kill your baby. Then a woman rushed down a flight of stairs that I hadn't noticed before and urged me up the stairs. Several girls sat around a reception area. The room was very quiet. Nobody chatted or made small talk. Somehow it didn't occur to me that they were all aborting their babies. I filled out some paperwork, paid a fee, and sat quietly to wait. Soon I was called into an exam room and instructed to lay on a table with my legs in stirrups. The doctor peered between my legs, examining me. I don't remember him talking to me, but he said to the nurse, This one is not as far along as we thought. Terror gripped me. Would they complete the procedure? They carried on. I was fully awake and could hear various noises and feel weird sensations. But I tried to make my mind be somewhere else. Soon I was sitting in a recovery area of sorts, being fed juice and cookies as if I had just given blood. Several other girls sat in the same area. Very little eye contact was made and no conversation was attempted. I lied and told the nurse someone was picking me up, so I was allowed to leave soon after. Relief filled me as I drove away, trying to smother my guilt or shame that I felt. Things didn't work out with that boyfriend, and I wonder now if that was because he was a reminder of what I had done. Soon I went off to college, started a new career, and met my future husband, Tim. We started dating, and very early on in the relationship, I found myself pregnant again. My first instinct was to abort. Pathetic, right? Judge me all you want, and you still won't ever come close to how badly I judged myself. I explained to Tim that I was not ready to have a baby and I planned to schedule an abortion. He didn't like the idea, but didn't exactly know what to do about it. Off I went to carry on with my day, the decision made. On the way home that evening, without any reasonable explanation, I had a complete turnaround in my attitude. Suddenly, 
I found myself thinking, we can have this baby. We should have this baby. I met up with Tim that evening to tell him. Sometime later, he let me know that he had been praying that I would change my mind about having an abortion. God answers prayer. Neither of us was walking with the Lord, obviously. I was far from being a Christian, but Tim read his Bible regularly and had been praying to God to lead him to a woman who believed in God. Tim felt a tug towards a more God-centered life, and he wanted a woman to settle down with. On our first or second date, he asked me if I believed in God. Well, believe it or not, I had grown up Catholic, so of course my answer was yes. I guess Tim took that as the answer to his prayers. Clearly, his theology wasn't that great yet. Even the devil believes in God, after all. Within one year of our first date, we were married and had a baby boy named Matthew. Matthew is now going on 28 years old and has a wife of his own. It crushes my heart whenever I think of what might not have been if God had not intervened in my life. Then I get to thinking of the two babies that hadn't been given a chance at life because of my choices. Were they boys or girls? What would they have been like? The pain and shame of what I had done grew as the years went by. Very few people knew the truth. I worked hard at suppressing my dark secret and kept friends at a distance as if they would intrinsically know I was a monster. After Matthew was born, both Tim and I felt drawn to go to church. I still remember, as if it was yesterday, walking into the sanctuary that first Sunday morning. I strolled in wearing jeans and saw a room full of women in dresses. Some of the little girls' dresses even matched the mother's dresses. I honestly think I was the only female in pants. Everyone had Bibles and notebooks in their hands. When the pastor started to preach, they all took notes. I felt very conspicuous and uneasy. But Tim was convinced that this was the place we needed to be. Over the next few years, my antagonism toward all things related to church grew. I fought against any spiritual leading. I especially fought against my husband's spiritual leading. Every Sunday, I tried to convince him to stay home so we could have a family day. I would argue with him about church-related things and complain that if I had wanted to marry a pastor, I would have. By now, we had two children, and they were the only things keeping me in this marriage, other than the fact that I was just plain stubborn. Of course, God's grace and mercy was what was holding us together, but I didn't know that yet. At that point, I resisted going to church at every turn. Tim took the kids with or without me, and the whole time was quietly patient and praying. That was so alien to me, his behavior. Tim kept going to church Sunday after Sunday. Occasionally, I would give in and go with him. He continued to be patient and pray. Be sure many people were praying for that poor man's wife. God was answering those prayers and starting to work on my heart because my antagonism was slowly replaced by openness. Sometime in 1998, I began to attend church more regularly with him. God continued to tug at me 
and I did my very best to ignore him. But God is all powerful, and when he wants something, he gets it. The reality of what I had done to those two little babies haunted me. And now that I occasionally sat under the preaching of God's word, the painful reality was magnified a hundredfold. One particular Sunday, the pastor spoke on repentance and restitution. I can't remember a specific passage. I only remember lying in bed that night completely broken, weeping for the little babies I had aborted and pleading with God to tell me how I could ever make restitution for the evil sin I had committed. I begged him to forgive me for what I had done. God's spirit convicted me that day, revealing to me that I was a wretched sinner and that I needed his forgiveness and grace to be right with him. For years, I endured the weight of that conviction without any real sense of the joy that seems to come with conversion for other people. Yes, I was saved when I asked for God's forgiveness. I turned away from a sin-filled life and began to follow the example of Christ in the Bible. But I didn't feel saved. My sin was just too great, I believed, and I certainly felt too much shame to talk about it with anybody. A year or so after I first called on God in faith, I heard a sermon on David's Psalm 51, written in response to his conviction over the sin of adultery he'd committed with Uriah the Hittite's wife. To cover his sin and avoid its consequences, David committed another sin and had Uriah murdered. Psalm 51 is one of repentance, and I completely related to his broken-hearted pleas. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51. 7 to 11, King James Version. Upon reading that psalm, I remember thinking that I had broken and contrite heart. In fact, I had it in good measure. From that understanding, my faith grew, but I still lacked the assurance of salvation. I still felt God's arm wasn't long enough. I understand now that I was diminishing God's power I didn't feel worthy of the grace and mercy being offered to me, and I couldn't yet talk about the secret sorrow I carried with me every day. For many years, I sat in church and kept my secret. I felt like an imposter. I felt unworthy and wretched. The pain and anguish got worse as the years went by. I was missing the joy that I saw in so many Christians. God had done a marvelous work in my life when his spirit performed the miracle of repentance in my heart. Christ's work on the cross brought my pardon with God. No longer would I suffer the penalty I deserved for killing his created beings. I hadn't earned any of that. It was all a gracious gift from God. It was all amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. But I still wasn't given God the glory and honor for this incredible work. Nobody truly understood how incredibly gracious God had been in my life 
because I couldn't talk about it. God had forgiven me, but I guess I still hadn't forgiven myself. I continued to drag around the chains of conviction, even though God had released me from the penalty of my sin. Imagine someone being released from prison but having to keep their hands shackled. That isn't true freedom. I was useless and weak and ineffective servant for Christ. I felt worthless. I was forgetting about so many promises I had been reading about in the Bible. When God uses us in our weaknesses, it magnifies his strength. As it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I was so focused on the pain and shame that I was missing out on the blessings that come with God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy. There is healing when you walk with God. Emotional and spiritual pain can be replaced by joy and hope when God moves in your life. Psalm 147 verse 3 promises that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And in John 16, 22, Jesus said, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I was not claiming those promises of God. I couldn't stop looking behind me long enough to see what God wanted to do in my life going forward. I was stuck. God doesn't give up, though, and his spirit continued to prompt me to work through the sorrow I felt, even though all I wanted to do was bury it in the deep recesses of my mind and heart. A few years ago, God led me to a post-abortion Bible-based study called Living in Color, the Goal of Post-Abortion Recovery by Jenny McDermott, held at the local Pregnancy Resource Center. The study helps you walk through the grief of loss, a grief I wasn't even aware I carried, much less understood. When people die or a woman has a miscarriage, we are urged to work through the grief process. It's healthy and encouraged. The grief of abortion, however, is not readily acknowledged. After all, I had brought this on myself. Did I really have the right to grieve? Through the study, I learned that the profound grief was real. Also, the shame I felt wasn't from God. And through study prayer and the encouragement of godly friends, it was slowly taken away. I was reminded over and over how powerful God's forgiveness is. My sin had been blotted out of his mind as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verse 12. The more I talked about the abortions and understood God's healing power, the less I felt restrained by the chains of sin and pain. Only a few short years ago, I couldn't think about what I had done to my babies, much less talk about the abortions to others. Now God has healed my broken spirit and is, is equipping me to share my story. I am now able to speak freely about the awful thing that I agreed to twice. The abortions caused me many years of guilt, remorse, and anguish. Fear and shame held me back from revealing my true self. I was afraid of judgment if people knew the truth about me. For years, I felt as though I was mentally ill because nobody told me I needed to grieve and heal from the trauma 
of abortion. People talk about choice and freedom and rights, but few talk about the secret sorrow that women live with after having an abortion. I get angry when I think about the fact that the medical system never warned me about the mental anguish I might feel after terminating my pregnancies. I recently had gallbladder surgery and the list of possible risks the doctor casually rhymed off was both staggering and terrifying. I was informed of the risks, however, and therefore knew what to be on the lookout for. I had no idea that abortions could cause long-lasting mental trauma, so it was never on my radar. I had no clue that unresolved grief was negatively affecting my interpersonal relationships with family and friends. I had no idea that something I had fully chosen would torment me for years. Of course, I can't say with certainty that more information would have caused me to choose differently. I am adopted myself, which is a great story. Maybe I would have considered adoption if even one person had explained fetal development to me and not acted as though I was ridding myself of an inconvenient clump of cells. Maybe if the doctor had shown me a life-size model of a 10-week-old fetus, I would have realized that this wasn't simply a clump of cells, but a tiny, fully formed baby with hands and feet and a heartbeat. Maybe I would not have destroyed those two little miracles of creation growing inside me. Maybe my story would have been completely different. Thank you, Michelle Robertson, for your bravery in writing your story for us. I have been totally blessed by reading of how you've come to know that God has the answer. I really want to bring one sentence out of your story for some of those that are listening. It is a profound statement, and it is in the middle of the story. When you talk about how you, nobody understood how great God had been to you in your life, because you couldn't talk about it. And you write, God had forgiven me, but I guess I still hadn't forgiven myself. And here's the line someone needs to hear today. I continued to drag around the chains of conviction, even though God had released me from the penalty of my sin. Dear one today, if you are dragging around the chaos, the chains of conviction, even though God has released you, or perhaps you don't know about his forgiveness, I do encourage you to reach out to a pregnancy center, to reach out to someone. I'm going to suggest that you go to my website, wordstoinspire.ca, and look at the books, look at and purchase Unborn Untold. It can be shipped right to your home, and you will read story after story of those who have been haunted by abortion and yet have found the healing grace and mercy of our wonderful, loving Heavenly Father. You do not need to go on in your life carrying the chains. And as Michelle also writes, I was so focused on the pain and shame that I was missing out on the blessings that come with God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Dear one, do not miss out on the blessings that God has for you when you come in repentance. Ask forgiveness and allow him to cleanse you from all your sins.
Until next time, I'm Ruth Coghill with Words to Inspire. As we close off today, I invite you to be part of the Unborn Movement. There are several ways to be involved. Why not join the Unborn Movement Facebook page, get involved in a local pregnancy center, or start the conversation in your church, providing a safe place for stories to be told. For there is a lot of pain in the pews. Find out more about our ministry at wordstoinspire.ca or contact me, Ruth, at wordstoinspire.ca. I'm Ruth Coghill for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now.